This is my family, mental illness, and me. My name is Pamela Jenkins, and I'm a researcher at the Mental Health Foundation. My mum, Irene, lived with a mental illness. There were voices only she could hear, and she could quickly switch from feeling very high to very low. No one ever talked about it with me when I was young, even though I knew my mum was often unwell. When I was in my 20s, that's when a psychiatrist told me that my mum had schizoaffective disorder. Sadly, I lost her quite recently to COVID-19. But even though she's gone, her mental health will always be a huge part of my life. In each of these podcasts, I'll speak to someone else whose parent has or had a mental illness. In the UK, there are at least 3 million children of parents with mental illness. If you're one, it's really important that you know you're not alone. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast series from the charity Our Time, with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Our Time champions and supports children of parents with mental illness and their families. We've put links to more information in the show notes. It's really exciting to get started on this podcast series. We've got so many great conversations lined up and it's truly wonderful to finally be able to share them with you. I'm not straying too far from home for this first chat, hearing from a founder of a brilliant Scottish charity set up to help dads, kids and families. My name is Thomas Lynch. I founded and work for a charity in Edinburgh called Dad's Rock. We're here to improve outcomes for children. And we do that through working with dads and families, a range of services on a one-to-one basis and also online. Hi, Thomas. Thank you so much for doing this. Where would you like to start? I'm going to open up the floor to you and let you start where you would like with your own experience. Well, my dad had severe mental illness and died because of his mental illness. Yeah, that's had a huge impact on my life and... He had two main periods of being really ill, one of which happened when I was a young teenager, and the second happened when I was in my early 40s, uh, late 30s. I was amazed at how quickly it kind of came on and how it kind of crept up on us both times and kind of took us by surprise. You know, when I was a teenager, um, both obviously my mum and dad were a lot younger, Uh, They were in a different place and possibly more able to sort of cope with it. But then the second episode, if you like, that he had, you know, both my parents were retired and, um, yeah, found it really hard to cope with and deal with. Were you a teenager the first time your dad had his first incidence of his mental illness? Or is that the first time you remember it? Yeah, I was a young teenager from what I remember. I think I was like maybe 13, 14. My memory of it now, uh, looking back, is that he'd been working away. He worked in construction. So he was working away at the week and coming back at the weekend. So we didn't see him that much because of that. And we didn't have much interaction with him uh, because of him working away. And then, you know, what sort of transpired and what he talked about afterwards was just the stress of the job. It was a big construction piece, a very important sort of building, and it, it, he found it quite stressful. And working in construction, he was working with people who weren't looking after him and didn't care about that kind of stuff. So quite stressful situation. And, you know, my family being the family that they are, they kind of 
don't do well at being honest and being open about stuff. So it was all quite sort of hidden and secret. And mm, yeah, I've got an older brother and my mum and they kind of kept me away from it, I think, because they wanted to protect me. But I just ended up feeling annoyed and confused and didn't know what, what was going on because nobody would tell me. But you knew something was happening. Yeah, I knew he wasn't well. I could see it myself and conversations and the way he was acting. Um, mm. But I didn't know how seriously ill he was. I mean, he, very quickly he got he was sectioned. And my mum and my brother took him to the doctor. Again, this is all, you know, stuff that I was told later. They took him to the doctor and he'd had suicidal thoughts and they felt he was a risk, so he was sectioned. Um then it was a process of going to the hospital, the psychiatric hospital in Edinburgh, and going to see him and going into the ward and how scary that was to see him in there with other yeah. people who weren't well. And did your mum and your brother tell you why he was in the hospital at that point? When you went to the hospital, did you know what type I, of hospital it was? I knew that he wasn't well, and I knew that he wasn't well in the head. And that's probably as much as they told me. He was a bit sad. And they probably used the word depressed, but I probably didn't really understand what it meant. But unfortunately, he had to have electric convulsive therapy. Yeah. Um, and that was pretty horrendous. And I remember going in to see him one time after he'd had it. And it was not long after he'd had it. And... It was just horrible to see your dad like that, to see somebody you loved like that, um, because he just seemed blank and not there. And although he was conscious, he didn't seem like he was in the room. And that was pretty hard to see. Um, yeah. And then if you kind of like fast forward to the second episode he had, where again he was back in the same psychiatric hospital and again very sort of... Uh, unwell, uh, you know, I remember him talking about seeing people in the trees out of the hospital and stuff. And so I had a, a four-year-old at the time, three, four-year-old, uh -huh. and we would take him, you know, so again, it kind of felt like sort of history repeating, but I just wanted to yeah. be as honest as, as possible with my four-year-old and sort of age appropriate, but tell him what was yeah. wrong with granddad. And what did you say to him? How did you explain it to him? Yeah, it's a good question. Do you know what? I probably used some of the same <laughs> words my mum used, didn't I? I probably talked about him being <laughs> a bit sad and a bit depressed <laughs> and that he was here to get help. Um, even though I knew that actually he wasn't getting any better. Um, and he had a medical condition as well effectively both the consultants he had two consultants a psychiatric one and a medical one or a physical one and they both said that they couldn't do anything else for him mm -hmm. and it just kind of felt like he was in his late 60s he was 69 and it just felt like the nhs had given up on him yeah. um psychiatric doctor was saying we've done as much as we can do we need to wait for the medication to work which it wasn't uh, and the medical doctor saying he's not strong enough for an operation so, yeah, it was pretty hard. And I and I think yeah. that my dad was a very traditional Scottish father, old generation of, he worked really hard and didn't talk a lot. 
and mm-hmm. didn't talk about himself or feelings, certainly. And I think that it, it, he sort of felt, well, he had finished work, so what else was there to live for? And it kind of sometimes, and I feel a bit harsh, obviously, saying that, but sometimes I feel like he he did just sort of physically and mentally give up. As much as I know yeah. that it, the, the mental illness was you know, a chemical imbalance or some sort of, there was, I knew there was a logical imbalance to it. I still can't help but feel that way when I look back on it. But as though there was a feeling of an element of choice in the matter, that sense of, like you say, not fighting anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, again, that's hard to see anybody that you love not fighting as hard as you would want them to fight and not being able to have that conversation to Mm -hmm. say to them, Luke, we need you. And my mum needs you, um, and we want you to be here for the grandchildren. But it was too late by then for him because he was mm. in such a dark place. Did he have an awareness when you were younger or laterally? Did he have an awareness, do you think, of his mental health? Yeah, certainly. First time it happened, first time we had an episode, if you like, when I was a teenager and the electroconvulsive therapy and the drugs did work and the drugs did help and he did get better he spoke about it very sort of briefly I remember one conversation as quite often happened with my dad or with my family it was in the car and we were (laughs) driving somewhere and I was a passenger and I think again you know my dad kind of used that as a sort of easier way to speak to someone without looking at them because I had had to drive (laughs) um but I remember him speaking about it then. I, I can't remember if I brought it up or if he did, but that was like the only time we ever spoke about him being unwell and we were really careful. Um, and, you know, he made a good friend in the hospital first time round. And um, the the guy that he became friends with uh, did die by suicide. You know, for a short period of time, I think that guy really helped him somebody who had been there and somebody who knew what my dad had gone through. But my dad, unfortunately, was the sort of guy who didn't want to talk about a lot of things um, and therefore just didn't and just clammed up um, instead of talking about it. And how did that make you feel when you were when you were a young teenager? Do you remember how how you felt at the time? Yeah, not, not pleased <laughs> about it because uh, I just wanted some answers. I wanted yeah. people to talk I wanted people to just be honest about it um and there were none coming from my family so you know I definitely think that it's had an impact as to where I currently am and where Mm -hmm. I ended up you know I ended up after school doing a science degree um, which involved a bit of psychology and I ended up volunteering for Edinburgh Samaritans so I was a Samaritan volunteer for about nine years in Edinburgh and um, you know I absolutely know that part of that part of the reason for me wanting to do that was because I wanted to know more and Mm -hmm. I wanted to protect myself because I did have this fear and I'll be honest I still probably do have a bit of a fear that it could happen to me you know that whole sort of whether it's right or wrong that whole sort of like passed down through the generations of poor mental health so I think I wanted to sort of protect myself Mm -hmm. yeah and we know that's not 
necessarily the case, but it is a very, I can completely relate, it's such a natural worry to have when you've experienced and witnessed poor mental health in, in a parent. It's a very natural place for your own mind to go. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the case at all. No, and there's times where you know that, isn't there? There's times where the logic kicks and you say, you know, just because it doesn't mean that it will happen to you. um, Yeah. Because we know that our lifestyles are quite different from our parents and certainly our upbringing is different from our parents. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. there's that sort of niggling doubt and that fear at the back of my mind. Yeah. And then as a parent, I don't know about you, but certainly there's a whole other level to that for me now. That I'm a parent and I've got my two boys, I worry about their mental health and what if it's something that will impact on them, even if it has it doesn't directly impact on my own mental health. <laughs> what if it passes to them? And again, you know, it's a fear, isn't it? It's a fear that sort of lives with you. Yeah. I think that it's really good that there's a lot of people in Scotland talking about infant mental health and yeah. talking about yeah. the mental health of babies which is amazing and I think that's definitely the way that we need to go. I think I've got a lot of hope for the younger generation. I think a lot of the conversations they have in school, they talk about mental health, whether it's Mm -hmm. overt or a bit more discreet, but like, you know, the term resilience is quite a common term now in schools, but that certainly wasn't something that we talked about in my school and, you know, he's talked about the fact mm. that he's been in well-being classes and if somebody has upset somebody else, they have to kind of talk about it and kind of work through it together, which sounds very therapeutic. The simple fact that people are being asked to face up to things and and talk about ah, friendships are still important, even if you've upset somebody. Did you um, ever speak about it with your friends at school did you were you open about your dad's mental health when he was going no, through that I, not at school I think as usual I was at that certainly at that stage where I think that if I had spoken about it at school it would have been used as something negative so I think I was probably scared of mentioning it and it's interesting you know when I've spoken to school friends in later years um, and ca- caught up with them you know, and they'll tell you stories of what happened in their family life and how you just didn't see it and it wasn't spoken about and you weren't aware. And yeah. I think as a as a parent, it's a really hard balance, eh, to, again, be open with your kids but not expose them to too much. Yeah, and to create anxiety where it isn't necessary. It's difficult, though, because sometimes the not speaking can create as much anxiety as you've experienced that you were you knew something was not right or you know something was going on and that had the effect of making you feel potentially (laughs) as anxious as if you knew being in the dark isn't always a good thing and certainly that was my experience as well it's not it wasn't great and and not having somewhere to go it might have almost been okay if my family had said, this is not for you or you don't need to know about this, but here's a book or here, here's a leaflet or <laughs> whatever, you know, here's something that is sort of where you can channel this. And because I had to just do that myself and I decided to do that myself because 
I, I want it to understand that I'm not saying that obviously I have all the answers and it's amazing. Um, but I wanted to feel like I had some tools and some armory that would help if I would sort of come across something. So you mean in terms of if it were to happen to you or to learn about what was going on with your dad? A bit of both. But selfishly, yes, to sort of look after my own mental health, uh-huh. but also just to be more aware of it in general for everybody, but to try and understand what had possibly happened to my dad. I don't think we do really sort of look back. It sounds a bit it sounds a bit harsh to talk about reviewing how somebody died or why somebody died or or what happened, but it doesn't feel like we do that enough to understand and to learn from it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you talk about it now as a family? Do you we talk, talk about, about his more? death. We talk about him. We talk about how he would be reacting to stuff that's going on. I still, if I ever talk about his actual mental illness, my mum just wants to blame other people. You know, she wants to blame too much medication, not enough medication, not right medication, um, mm-hmm. which is just kind of where she's at. Um, and how does that make you feel? Look, a bit sad because I just think that's sort of wasted energy because I think the NHS did what they could and they did what they felt was right. What was your dad's diagnosis? You mentioned depression at the beginning. Was that his official diagnosis? Um, Acute psychosis. Uh Something like that. But because he then had a medical condition, he had cancer. And because Mm -hmm. he then had that, it was almost like, well, the mental health stuff was just put to one side because he all of a sudden had terminal cancer. It kind of almost didn't matter. Um, As much as... I would have loved it if he'd been able to sort of come back before he passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, if he'd been able to really sort of be present and be with his family, but he wasn't really. And that was hard. You know, it was a whole year of him not really being the person that he was uh, in a psychiatric hospital, not wanting to leave the hospital because he was so paranoid about uh, his safety and about stuff and people being out there to harm him. That's hard. It's quite hard to logically think about that and to rationalise that when somebody says to you, it's not safe outside, you know, there's people there and there's people in the trees and they see people and, you know, they're going to hurt us. It's quite hard to discuss that and to talk about that because, you know, it's his reality. And it's what he can see, and it's what's going on for him. And you know, it's not, it's not your, it's not your reality, and it's quite hard to compromise. Yeah, and it can be frustrating as well. Yeah. With yeah. my mom, it was um, teddy bears. She had teddy bears that spoke to her, and she spoke to them. And and in the end, I just had to accept that, like you say, they're part of their reality, and you're not, you can't make it better. I think that's one of the really hard things. You you feel like if you love them enough and you're there enough, you can make it better. Yeah. And you can't. And you just <laughs> or rationalize enough with them. But at the but, end, you need to just accept. And it's hard. Because we know that if it was a broken leg or something else, it would just take time. And yeah. we could all hold on 
and that they would get through the other side. But when it comes to your head, mm. there's a lot that we don't know and a lot that we don't understand. And just as you were talking there, it almost does make me think, and again, I don't know the science behind it, but it does make me almost think of a, bit, a little bit of dementia. You know, Yes. Where yes, that's interesting. The That's interesting that you say that because I often wondered later on if there was a bit of a crossover and I'm not I'm not a medical doctor but there it, it presents in a broadly similar way sometimes psychosis and hallucinations yeah um and it's difficult to untangle yeah and because there was some chat about that with my dad there was some chat about whether he had a little bit of uh, dementia but again it, they said it would be too hard to assess because of everything else going on but it does make you wonder about that doesn't it it's almost like from a simplistic point of view the same part of the brain um, yeah. or, or something that's involved in going on with the hallucinations with the memory because um, he knew who we were you know he, he remembered us he remembered his grandson and he liked seeing us but when he was in the hospital but you couldn't have a conversation about him getting better because mm -hmm. it just wasn't that level of conversation. And that still kind of frustrates and puzzles me when I think about that, that again, you know, you, you know, it's, it's not logical, but my brain says I should have been able to get through to him. You know, we should have been able to convince him that there were good things here and that would have helped him. But I know that that's not how it works, but you still, yeah. that whole thing of wanting to save someone yeah, uh, and wanting to help them get better. You know, that's the interesting thing as well. I think about being a Samaritan volunteer that, you know, when I was doing that role that, you know, you wanted people to get better and you wanted people to get help, but you also knew that actually some people didn't get better and that some people died either through natural causes or because they died by suicide and that's really hard to I think as human beings it's really hard to let go yeah and it's a hard mindset to to imagine if yeah. you've never experienced it I think what's interesting as well is just this idea that it was an illness that presents a psychosis it's talked about less often than a, a depression or an anxiety and not knowing what the diagnosis is is not an uncommon experience for children of parents with mental illness and because it's sort of it sounds strange to say but euphemistically described as somehow more um, acceptable form of mental illness but when it starts to become more severe or acute it's maybe you know not spoken about so much. That was certainly my experience anyway. Nobody told me that it was schizoaffective disorder. But I heard the word depression sometimes. But yeah. it's just interesting that it's not, um, doesn't seem okay to talk about that so much. Which is strange, isn't it? When we have so many labels and we have so many words for things, but we choose not to use them. I think as well, there, I wonder if it's got something to do with the associations that are made with the way that a psychosis, you know, if you have psychosis, the way that that presents, or if you have, you know, schizophrenic symptoms, 
the associations that people make are often very negative and the way that that's presented can be very derogatory in the media or you know so there's a huge stigma around it yeah because i i think if somebody had said to me that my dad had uh, schizoid or schizophrenic tendencies i would have been quite scared about mm-hmm. that because i think i have a perception mostly driven by the media as to mm-hmm. what that means it's a really difficult one and, and certainly i i felt a lot of embarrassment which I now feel quite bad about I wish I could have had a conversation with my younger self and said you know be proud of your mum and whilst I loved her and we were very close I was I was embarrassed when she spoke to herself on the bus or Mm. you know at school I wouldn't want her to come to certain things because I was worried that she would and it's it's so much easier now to look back and the things that I look back on and think oh I wish I could change that Difficult. But, but but I guess I would say that most children are embarrassed by their parents anyway. That's uh, true. <laughs> whether they have poor mental health or not. That uh, is very true. As the kids get older, the last thing they want is their parents to speak or be present. Um, <laughs> and, that is true. And I, I think, yeah, it's the stigma, isn't it? And I, again, I my hope is that there's a lot more understanding now and a lot more openness um, and people talk about things a lot better now and understand more. So I think there's a lot less of name calling to a certain degree and a lot more acceptance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how do you remember your dad? So is his depression, when you think back and you think about your dad, is his depression the first thing that springs to mind or his mental illness or what What do you think of? No, definitely not. I think his his mental health is how he died. Um, you know, his cancer is how he died. Um, they're both entwined. But when I think about him, if you ask me about him, I don't think about that. It's part of him. It, you know, it happened. But I don't think about that. I think about how strong he was. And, and that's really interesting as well, just even saying that word, because I think that's again it's all entwined isn't it because um yeah i think about how strong he was how stupid he was how silly he was (laughs) um he used to do this really strange sort of sucking with his teeth um noise which was kind of like a sort of sarcastic like a like that sort of noise you know that he used to do and just like silly stuff that he used to do with our uh his grandson our son um and so if I think about him, if somebody asked me about him, I think about the fact that, you know, he and my mum were together for so long and such a lovely couple and not perfect by any stretch of imagination, you know, n- nobody is, but, you know, they were married for such a long period of time, 40 years or something. Um, wow. So I think about that sort of stuff yeah. if I think about him and the fact that, you know, although we now have two sons and he never met our second son, he met our first son and they had a relationship yeah. so i'm grateful for all of that stuff and uh i'm lucky i'd say i'm blessed that you know we had a family that we had um and it was as good uh, as it was yeah it's amazing what an impact it can have and the way that it can how it lingers and i know that your father had the different episodes in between times was he okay 
Yeah, or, yeah. In between times, and again, I, I think that's why it kind of shocked us and surprised us when it happened second time because, you know, he seemed absolutely on the level and he seemed that everything was okay, and then all of a sudden something happened and mm -hmm. he went down the hill really quickly and he was back in the psychiatric hospital really, really quickly. And I think some of it was also because they were both pensioners and my mum couldn't cope with the medication that mm -hmm. she was responsible for giving him and she couldn't cope being responsible for him. And I look back now and I think she was put in a position where it wasn't fair and quite quickly as a family we kind of had to decide that the hospital was the best thing for him because it would also be the best thing for my mum because, you know, he was starting to get, uh, you know, sort of dangerous and starting to get, not towards her, but just kind of unpredictable, I guess. Um, yeah. And we didn't know which way it was going to go. And, you know, we believed at the time that he was only going into hospital for a short period as much as there was that fear again. Um, so... Yeah, to answer your question, yeah, definitely in between times, he felt like it was his old self back. Mm -hmm. um, but when he got sick again, when he became unwell with his mental health, it, again, it was it's weird, isn't it? Because it's like, it just kind of creeps up on you. It's like small things. And then all of a sudden you think, oh, it's quite big now. You know, yeah. and initially I, I remember, the second time it happened, I initially remember just discounting it and thinking, oh, it's just, you know, either forgetfulness or it's just what happens when you get old. Um, but, you know, it, it soon became actually that didn't feel like it should and yeah. he wasn't acting in the way that he normally acted. Did it but, throw you right back to when you were a young teenager? Like, did you yeah. recall what happened then? Did it? Yeah, it was, yeah, it did make me think of that. And it made me also think of the ECT, the electroconvulsive therapy, you know, and how horrible that was for him um, and how horrible it was for us. And my thought was, is he going to have to go through all that again? Are we going to have to go through all that again? Um, yeah. You know, but effectively, quite quickly, the NHS said that that wasn't on the cards. When the, sorry to talk about the ECT again, when when do you recall knowing that it was ECT? Did they tell you at the time or did you just see the sort of how he was afterwards? I think my family must have spoken about it. You know, as sort of cliched as it is, my only reference is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> me too. And yeah. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in different movies and different programs uh, mm -hmm. later on. And it's still, whenever I see a scene that involves ECT or that sort of treatment, mm -hmm. it, I find it really hard to watch and really hard yeah. to accept. Yeah. Um, and I knew that, I knew even back then as a teenager, I knew that it wasn't like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I knew that it wouldn't be like Nurse Ratchet and all the <laughs> others. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that was my only reference. So... Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, so there's, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because I think I was a bit relieved, you know, as a family, it felt like nobody knows really why ECT works. But um, it was definitely mentioned within the family because I think, you know, they knew that I was going to notice that he was not going to be 
like how he normally was. And possibly also because I asked the question of how is he going to get better or what are they doing for him to get better? It's interesting that they would tell you about that but not tell you, because I think you said at the beginning that they said, oh, dad's not well in the head. Um, yeah. And then give details of, I guess, the treatment. It leaves so much to the imagination for a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and as much as part of me says, I, I don't know if I'd ever want to see a room where that happens. Mm there's got to be a better way of talking about these things now and explaining these things for children because there certainly wasn't anything then. Uh, I can't no. imagine there was actually that much for my mum or my brother. There was probably just more a conversation um, about it. I think so much focus is on the the patient. I think it's yeah a bit better now, but I think still part of the reason for this podcast is to highlight that children of these parents and caregivers are overlooked in terms of what they need and their requirements to support their own mental health at a time that can be very stressful and create a lot of anxiety for them. Did it have any impact on your mental health? Yeah, I think I think it can't not have an impact on your mental health. and But it's almost kind of made me feel like I'm always... I'm always on the lookout for not, yeah. not feeling like how I should. If I think about it now, you know, I'm definitely a little bit older than he is when he had his first episode, which, you know, has not something I've really thought about. But mm-hmm. again, it doesn't make any medical sense, but you do think about these stupid marks in time and the differences in your life and his life. You know, when you have a parent who dies you kind of learn that yes of course they're dead I know they're dead but they're still with us if you want them to be and you know you remember all the good things and all the stupid things <laughs> that they did and and who they were you know I've always been concerned about making sure that we honor him and that we remember him I still think that's how you do it by yeah. by keeping them with you and keeping them alive um, inside you and I think that's just again human nature that as our children get older we kind of pass on some of the attributes from our parents some of the good stuff and probably some <laughs> of the bad stuff as well you know I, I think we've as a society learned a lot about mental health I think it's great to see so many people talking about it I think it's brilliant to see so many men talking about it and a lot of people say oh you know men still don't talk and I think they do they just need the space and they need the time and they will talk but there's lots of great organizations that have popped up and are popping up so yeah. I'm really hopeful about mental health I think there's still so much more research and money and everything that needs thrown at it <laughs> but you've got to have hope that things are getting better for future generations and that we're learning yeah. and dad's rock is a huge part of that you founded the charity to support dads and to help them in their role as fathers. Do you think there's a link there sort of with the relationship with your own dad? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think having a child is such a sort of pivotal moment in your life. It's such a stressful, exciting moment in your <laughs> life. It throws up everything, doesn't it, when 
you're either just about to have a child or when you have a child, you, you start to think about your own parents and your own upbringing and the sort of parent you want to be. You know, it's all connected. And I think the good thing is that, you know, you just want to be more honest. And as I said earlier, you know, I remember my, if I think about my dad, I remember him being so strong and mostly physically strong, but I do think he was strong in spirit. Um, but, you know, I never saw him cry. I never saw him be really vulnerable until the mental health made him vulnerable. And I still struggle with that as a man of two boys. I still struggle with that to be vulnerable in front of my children. But I know that there's power in that. I know that there's strength in that. And I sound like that little mix song. <laughs> but, um, you know, I do know that there's value in that. And yeah. that has taken a long time to learn as an adult, as a person, that there's value in vulnerability. Uh, yeah. You can learn a lot from it and other people can too. Um, you know, I think my dad had probably two or three emotions, if you'd asked him. Um, and <laughs> and that's probably all the emotions that he could name and that would be his range. Um, and again, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but that's where I see the hope that we have to hold on to yeah. the ability to express ourselves. Yeah. And how much of your experience and your relationship with your dad is in dad's rock for you? Would dad's rock be, do you think, without the experience that you've had? I don't know. You know, he died just as it was kind of starting. So he knew it was a thing. He probably didn't really understand it probably would have dismissed it a little bit but because he's a sort of he was a sort of person you know who'd never tell you that he was proud of you but he'd be proud of you you were just supposed to know um and read, <laughs> and read his mind um so you know I, I like to think that he would be proud but i bet he would be but um you know it's a different generation and they did things very differently and they treated each other very differently and as I said, he worked in construction, you know, which is a very sort of male, macho environment. I remember he mm -hmm. took me one day and I absolutely hated it. It was just like the worst. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Not for just, me. <laughs> no, there was all these men sitting about, um, yeah. Not talking about their feelings. Not talking about their feelings, <laughs> but just being hugely inappropriate. <laughs> it was just not for me. <laughs> As I said, I think, you know, we've come a long way in mental health in this country, but we're still a long, long way to go. But there's hope and there's positivity that we're getting there. There is. And it's been so lovely to talk to you about this, Thomas. Thank you. I, it's, it can't be easy. It's, it's it, honestly, it's... It's nice, nice therapy, isn't it? Hard listening to it. And it <laughs> it's therapy. It's therapy. And it, and it makes you, you know, I think I thought, I don't know what I thought how how it would be but listening is very emotional and it does bring up you know makes you help makes you reflect on your own experience and it's so refreshing to hear somebody else's experience it really is i've never really spoken to anybody about it not even my yeah, own family and we so don't and we don't either sort of in our family and it's it's, it's it's wrong, isn't it? And it's stupid that, as I said, it's his mental health wasn't who he was, but it was definitely part of him. 
Um, And we don't really talk about it in the same way. We'll talk about the positive stuff. This is why I think the sharing is so important. Like you say, it creates that community and it makes you feel like you're not alone. This is the, the first most extensive conversation, only conversation I've had with somebody else, with a parent with mental illness in my life. I've never done this before. And, and I'm, I don't know why. I can't, I don't know why. So just, so thank you so much again, honestly. You're welcome. Good luck, Paolo. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to them all when they're ready. A huge thank you to Thomas Lynch from Edinburgh charity Dad's Rock for coming to chat with me today. Give Dad's Rock a follow on social media. They are dadsrock.org, all one word, on Twitter and on Instagram. My Family, Mental Illness and Me is a podcast from Our Time with support from the Mental Health Foundation. Visit ourtime.org.uk for support and resources for children and families affected by parental mental illness. You can follow them on social media at Our Time Charity and we've also put lots more links and places to find information and support in the show notes. Also, if you feel like you're struggling with mental health or you've been affected by anything in this episode, it's really important you speak to someone. There are links to help in the show notes, but also you can contact your GP, the Samaritans on 116123 or Childline 0800 11 Thank you so much for being with us today. Subscribe to our feed so you get future episodes automatically downloaded. And if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing these stories we're sharing, please let them know we're here. That's really important. We really want people to know that they're not alone. This is a Bespoken Media production with music and sound design by Joe Cox. See you next time.